Hi, this is Ashley Farode, and you're listening to Behind the Bio, the podcast about the people behind the professions. In this particular episode, Taylor Pitsilos is my guest. She is the owner of designer Opshop Emporium in Fishwick, and she runs that business with her mother Sharon, as well as her father Dion. And they've been running that for about eight years, not in that location, that's a little bit more recent. Now, Taylor is an expert in vintage fashion specifically, that's what she leans into, but of course her business deals in all things vintage. I know that vintage means different things to different people, so during the podcast we do define what we are talking about. If you're interested in the world of vintage, or perhaps in the running of the business such as this one, then this most certainly is the podcast for you. I'd like to thank the Coordinate Group for making this entire podcast series possible, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Taylor Pitsilos on Behind the Bio. Hey Taylor, how are you going? Good, how are you? Good, good. Hey, um, your name pronunciation, the surname that is, is Pitsilos. Pretty good, yeah, Pitsilos. Yeah, I yeah. got it so right. <laughs> I should know better actually, right, because considering we've been friends for... Yeah. Actually, we are just trying to work this out the other day, so it's been... Eight years, Eight years. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. right. Which is kind of actually a nice thing to talk about because when I met you, you, you were already deep into the work that you do. Yeah, yeah, um, I would have been, it would have been my first year exactly. in, with the store yeah. when I met you, yeah. But you were already kind of like the face of it. Yeah. In, in, in fact, I didn't realise that that was a family business and I didn't realise yeah. that your mum was actually the head of it, so to speak, or, yeah. the, or the originator until way later when I got to know you. I actually thought it was your own thing. Yeah. It was like so much, you know, presented I yourself. I think they like the it owner. that way though. Yeah, I mean, and it was mum and I for a while until we expanded into the poem and then dad came in as well. So yeah. it was always just the duo, mum and mum and daughter duo. That's right. And yeah. as you were telling me the other day, which I thought was kind of fun, you kicked off the whole entire business idea of selling vintage pieces. Yeah. And not just fashion. So I think we'll talk about that distinction in just a moment. Yeah. But that happened first as an online venture. Is that right? Yeah, it did. I think we went that way because dad's in IT and he's a web developer. So we just thought we could use that. And then we realized like with one garment, it was just taking way too long, way too much effort. So we thought this isn't going to be viable for us to do it this way. Um, And then we got offered a space in Braddon that was half price, three months lease. So that's what we took. That was our first leap into the actual, we, we did markets and stuff before that. And then we knew that people had an interest in the pre-loved fashion industry. And then we sort of rented something from there. And then it just snowballed onto now. So it's with vintage specifically, I guess it's one of those things where having like a brick and mortar yeah. thing or whatever that's yeah, called. Yeah, I think it's is really important. necessary for it the It is experience. really necessary, yeah. yeah. Not only for the experience, yeah, but just because of what you're selling. Um, and then pre-loved. So we sell anything from like Zara to Chanel, but then vintage as well is really important to us. Okay. You mentioned just a moment ago that you were selling fashion. Was it just fashion that you kicked off with online? Yeah. Look, to be honest, I can't quite fully remember. I think we did mainly fashion and jewelry. And then we started with glassware. So like mum was really interested in homewares, vintage homewares and bric-a-brac and that kind of thing. And then she pulled in her sort of knowledge because she's had her own boutique for 20 years prior to the Emporium. 
with fashion. Um, so she pulled that in, but like her main core, I guess, passion was within vintage bric-a-brac and furniture and stuff like that and art. Hmm. So we pulled that in and tied it in pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah, but it did start with just fashion. And you also, I mean, you've always been about fashion, right? Yeah, yeah. So what qualifications or what studies or what things were you doing in order before you started the business in order to kind of be yeah, an expert so, in it, so to speak? Um, I didn't, um, I wasn't a uni student, didn't go to uni, it wasn't for me. I did accredited in school at St. Clair's. Um, so I always just loved business and loved creative things, loved photography, stuff like that. Um, but the first year I actually opened the business because it wasn't hugely planned. Like we kind of did it out on a whim, to be honest with you at the beginning, because with the three month lease and everything. And sorry, you were 18 at the time. Is that right? Um, I think I was 19, 19. 19, Yeah. So I actually started, um, studying at FBI fashion college in Sydney in the same year that we opened the business. So mum and I would drive up to Sydney um, go to class, mum would go buying for the shop and then we'd drive home. So we did that once a week for a year and that just really helped me just figure out a lot of things got to do with the business. Um, and then more recently, I think it was two or three years ago, I studied personal styling yeah. at Australian Style Institute in Melbourne. Okay, but so you must have known that you wanted to get into fashion relatively yeah, early. Yeah, it was definitely what- my only option. But but because you wanted that to be your only option or was it just the only option? No, I just knew no, knew nothing else. Everyone, like, you know, knows that fashion is sort of just within me. Um, so, yeah, for me it was the only option, whether I was going to live in Canberra or not. I had to work in the fashion industry in some way. Yes. So the interesting thing about that is, though, that from the people that I know that have studied fashion, they always tend to think of it as a, as a progressive thing. In other words, thinking yeah. of the fashion of now and then tomorrow. Mm. Was it? difficult or was it not to kind of think of fashion in reverse because obviously with the vintage stuff yeah it's not only about the, the fashion of the now but also its history and everything about that does that make it more difficult because you then have to kind of really have a very broad understanding of it yeah um I don't think it makes it more difficult it was just the sort of niche that I was interested in and fashion can be kind of you know trends and things like that and everyone is sort of doing the same thing at the, in the same year at the same time that it keeps eventuating on um but the thing that mum and I liked about vintage was the fact that you could take something from 40 years ago and make it now yeah. um so i guess that's where that was my interest and i just thought there was a big sort of gap in the market for me as well in canberra that not many fashion boutiques are around, um, let alone vintage fashion boutiques, that there's something to offer a lot of people. Well, I guess what I'm trying to get my head around is, like you just mentioned, so when fashion trends start, mm-hmm. you know, they, they kind of roll through the year, usually started by fashion shows, I presume, yeah. before they come commercial and then we get to know about it as the consumers and then it yeah. becomes a, a fad and then it kind of rolls on from there. Mm-hmm. And they can be short or quite long, um, depending on what you're looking at in terms of the wave. Mm-hmm. But when I think of vintage, though... Um, you almost have to go back backwards in history and figure out what the fashions were then and then how that applies. Yeah. And, and also what makes some vintage better than others, right? So that's what I'm trying to get at. Where does how do you get knowledge about that and, and where where do you get that from? Um, I guess it just become I guess naturally we do a lot of research without even knowing that we are because it's what we're interested in, whether you're watching movies or looking at books or things like that. Um that's what I love to do. I love to see old books and I love watching, you know, old fashion documentaries and stuff like that. 
But I guess just having the knowledge of what they wore from the 20s and moving forward. Um, and then every time, every era, you're always taking something from back then and it's just this constant cycle. Yeah. But for us, it's a matter of how to mix that in with the, with the now. Yeah. And making it work so it's not sort of head to toe looking like your grandma, yeah. but you're making it work. Yeah, it's a bit like what your mum said to me the other day when I was doing that home story. I really like the fact that she said it's not – this is to do with interior design. Yeah. Specifically using vintage pieces. And she said it's not about trying to have everything vintage. In fact, the juxtaposition between new and old is actually what makes it more exciting and Definitely. gives it giving it a balance. Yeah. yeah. So I presume what you're saying is that in terms of fashion, you're doing yeah. the same thing. You are keeping up with current stuff. And in fact, mm. that gives you a more interesting perspective and stuff going backwards and how they're related to each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We always always mix the two and create a balance and never have, you know, all modern or all um, vintage and just, just mixing it and making it a little bit more interesting and then not pressing too much on the current trend, whether it's too, you know, it'll only be in for a year or so. Mm. Um, it's sort of not something I would focus on as a fashion Easter, you could say, a stylist, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it's more sort of we would just – focus more on classic things. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, there was a, a conversation that I was hearing uh, between two experts in the field regarding kind of movies, and they were talking about the film Risky Business with Tom Cruise. Yeah. It's a you know, really famous 80s film. They were saying that, you know, to most people, that film defines the 80s in terms of, mm-hmm. well, everything that it's as part of, including the soundtrack. Yeah. But actually, the reason that movie was so popular in the 80s is because it was a nod to the 50s. Fashion-wise, yeah. And and other aspects of it, including actually the whole idea of Ray-Bans, which were completely out of fashion at that time and were really losing market share. And that's just how it all comes back. Every every 30 years, the cycle will continue on. And the Wayfarers aren't an 80s thing. They're actually a 50s thing backwards into the 80s. And they're still fashionable now. Exactly. So to to the point, yeah, yeah, they were saying that there's this kind of loop over and over again. And I guess that's a very interesting way of looking Mm. at fashion and keeping up with it. But something like the Wayfarers, fair is like it's never going to go out of style in my opinion it's going to be you know chic for the next 50 years as well yeah so yeah it's more to focus on those things rather than the quick trends i kind of figured too and this may be my be my perception of it but vintage had a real kind of strong movement i would hazard a guess just under 10 years ago it mm-hmm. became a thing yeah and then, like anything, those things kind of die off a little bit, and so on. How are you finding that 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 movement of vintage? Is it just as in vogue, if I can say that? Sorry, yeah. As as it was, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Is it great gaining in momentum? Yeah, it's definitely been more popular now than it ever has been, um, which is great. It's all it's the part of recycling. It's just coming into it, and the whole eco shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, people are being more sustainably conscious about what they're wearing and not trying to buy into too much fast fashion. So that's definitely helping the vintage industry boost a little bit more. And I think it, it's growing, It's honestly growing at like such a rapid pace, the pre-loved industry and the vintage industry Yeah, because can, of that. Can you give me the distinction between that two? So what is the distinction between vintage in, in one particular understanding versus, say, for example, me looking through secondhand clothes? Yeah, so though. vintage technically is going to be probably 30 years and older, um, but we use the term very loosely now. So if it's sort of even 10 years old, yeah, I would classify that as vintage to my clients just so they understand that it's a little bit older. Um, you know, and then in 
even you go into terms of retro as far as furniture, that's even older. And then you're going down into the line of antique. So a lot of the time people will say, oh, is that an antique? And it's not necessarily an antique unless it's over 100 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, same goes for fashion as well. So we might have very rarely I might get like a beaded antique bag, which is genuinely, um, you know, from the 1920s. So that's antique and then you go to vintage and then pre-loved. Now it's just like your general if you're getting something from Country Road, but it's pre-loved. Just going back to that bag for a moment, when you're looking for those kind of items and when you shop for it to bring that back to, to your shop, yeah, do you have a way of checking how authentic and old it is? Like how do you know? In other words? Yeah, I mean, it, it just comes with the time, I guess. Like now we've had our store for nine years, so we've been buying for quite a while um, and it, it becomes just second knowledge to us. I guess we, we're not 100% sure. We're not experts either, but... It's just easier as you go on. And I have maybe five clients a day that I look through. Um, so I've looked through a lot of stuff, I guess you could say. And yeah, it just depends. We do research things as well. When we get something and you can tell that it's quality, we will dive into it a little bit um, and certainly find out where it is. But as far as um, luxury goes, there are a lot of little tricks to the trade that we do to authenticate things um, that I can do pretty quickly. And then I will use um, sort of like a higher end server for pieces that, you know, if it's a Chanel bag or something like that, that might be selling for five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000. I'll get it certified from a third party just to ensure. Yeah. Yeah. And for the customers that you've got coming into the store, the vast majority of them, what are they looking for? They're looking for something that has that kind of old true value. Uh, or more something that's distinctive? What's the Yeah, I guess because I sell um, in the store now, we've got 10 vendors with us. I have my section, which is Designer Op Shop, but then we've got, you know, the Emporium, which falls under a branch of a lot of other vendors. Um, they all specialize in different things. So it could be a lot of our clients come in pretty much every week because they're just like, what did they find this week? Um, I guess it's like the hunt and what what treasure there will be. Um, of course, a lot of people go for the designer pre-loved clothing. I think that's where a lot of our followers on Instagram are from. Um, it's definitely that luxe, you know, little spill, getting something for less and being able to get into that market because not everybody can afford to go buy it from a store. But then as far as like furniture and homewares, it's just something with a little bit of charm. Mm-hmm. Like I get a lot of families buying their you know, children's nieces or nephew, like wedding presents or something like that, because they'll get the most beautiful crystal decanter or vase that you just wouldn't buy for yourself, perhaps, but it's so nice to have. So yeah, you get, and then you might get a pair of costume earrings from Luxembourg, like that's $32. So there's just, there's so much there that I think everyone, yeah, it's sort of like, what am I going to find? I think so. It must be partly to do with that kind of experience of actually well, it's not yeah. a catalogue, you know, and here's the new season. Essentially, you yeah. guys get stuff in. People can go in there. If they get there the right time, they'll be able to find perhaps something yeah. that's very unique. Yeah, and that's unique. the thing. Like, we don't hold items either. Um, I've never held items just because it's one-off. And if the item's there, you know, you kind of need to jump on it if you want it. And so many people come back and they're like, oh, where's that mirror? Like, I saw it, you know, and it's gone. But I saw you- myself in the mirror and now I can't. Yeah. <laughs> It's something that you've got to jump on. Um, But it is also, I think our clientele do come for the experience, like you said, like 
I think our boutique is like nothing else in Canberra, which is sort of why we kind of stand alone in that sense that we take a lot of pride and sort of care into creating that experience for a client from, you know, when they're outside and the music's playing and the garden's all pretty and everything like that. And then as soon as you walk in, you there's chandeliers above you and you've got scents happening and you can smell the coffee beans and that kind of thing. Mm. It's creating an ambiance and it's actually quite nice. A lot of people tell us that it's therapy coming into our store, like for them to just, you know, take their mind off things and look at the beautiful things. It's mm. presented in a way that we feel like looks as pretty as a gallery or something like that. Yeah, and it was important for us to keep the charm of the building. It's one of the um, oldest buildings in Fishwick. Mm -hmm. So it it used to be a Norman Ross, which is now Harvey Norman, transport depot. And I remember when we moved in, we said to the landlord, like, we want to rip up the carpet, rip up the roof. He was sort of like, what? What do you mean? Like, what are you guys doing? We're like, we want exposed beams. Like, we want that rawness and old charm of the building, but then you make it, you know, beautiful on the inside so it's not doesn't look like it's falling apart mm. but what kind of charm can, you can't get that in the Canberra Centre and things like that well I mean you're essentially working with the heritage of a place like Canberra right yeah yeah I think it was your dad Leon that mentioned that uh, you guys had some concerns about moving that all the way out to Fishwick because therefore it makes yeah. it a destination in terms of shopping as opposed to walk through traffic walk like through. you would have had in Braddon yeah, but you Number one, it worked. Yeah. But you you, you both, I mean, your mother and you were quite adamant about the fact this was the right decision. Yeah, I mean, we we jumped onto Braddon at the beginning because it was kind of like a hip vintage area. We had the half-price rent and so it was an an alleyway in. Um, And then that's when Lonsdale Street Traders came about as well. So um, it was just – it was a hip and upcoming area – but it just got like way, way, way too expensive for us to sustain our business there. Um, and then it felt like it's a two more, you know, cafe vibe rather than like boutique shopping. It was kind of losing that feel. Um, and then we thought, you know, if we expand and have like-minded businesses within our shop and we create this destination experience, you know, we think people will come there. Um, yeah, really glad that we did because it's honestly like – so much more busy than we were in Braddon. It's insane. Um, but I think because we did create that experience, people come to it and it's a lot more convenient for a lot of people. Like um, people bring me stock to look through. You can't find a park in Braddon very easily. So there's a lot of aspects, whether it was just the rent and the parking. And um, and then we figured out that the foot traffic is not necessarily our clientele. Where did you get your other friends that joined you in the Aquarium from? As yeah. In- did you have to kind of curate who they were and find them? And was that difficult? Um, well, we only have 10 and we like to keep it small and boutique. It's still a lot. Yeah, it's, it is still a lot. Not all of them came from the beginning, but um, Sharon, my mother and I had had this idea in the back of our minds for quite some time. So we were collecting names and businesses and we didn't necessarily tell people what we were going to do, but we kept them in mind. So like we'd take business cards and things like that and then – um, Georgie, for example, one of our vendors who's been with us from the beginning, she sells, um, cushions. We were buying the cushions off her and then, you know, you start to just like create connections and then, yeah, I don't think we actually, we didn't advertise it. It was just a matter of throughout the store finding little bits and pieces. And then when we eventually announced what we were doing, I think by that stage I had six signed up. 
And then the others kind of floated on from there. And because mum's been a sort of collector for a while, we were buying from Chrysanthi, who's been with us for the whole time as well, from markets. So we just, you know. So we already had those relationships. Yeah, we kind of just poached people who we wanted to be within the Emporium. Yeah, great. And I guess what must have been the case is that there isn't competition therefore what you're doing is kind of saying let's unite our forces in actually presenting something yeah, as a unique it's super experience important. like everyone needs to shine in their own light um but is like you say not to step on anyone's toes and everybody's really good at that everybody sticks to their um you know what they do and stays in their lane and everyone's really you know does really well and i guess that's why they're still here year after year you said when people bring you stock in order to fund your things, how much of it is people walking in and saying, here's a T-shirt I've had for 10 years, is mm. vintage? Mm. I think Ashley touched it once. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth a lot. Um, uh, versus you going out to other stores yeah. versus going to any other places? We do private buying appointments as well. Mm. Um, you know, some would call it a deceased estate, something like that, but it, we don't necessarily go in where there's other buyers there. We tend to do that privately, um, but because we're open six days a week, we do prefer if people can bring the things to us. And then it's just a process for me. Um, you know, we buy good quality clothing, nothing faulty, seasonal product, and it is quite hard for me to explain to someone exactly what I'm going to choose. But it doesn't sort of take me long; it'll take me five seconds, and I know exactly what we're going to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and then it's just a matter of, you know, making them an offer, whether it's for an outright bunch of things. Um, I always tell our clients, you will make more money selling the things yourself than selling it to us. It's just a matter of putting in that effort. Um, we're just the perfect place. If you'd like to take it somewhere, get it recycled and, you know, you know, it's going to be sitting in a beautiful store and then move on to another home and you get something for it all for the purpose of recycling, um, but I don't sort of go buying at like another pre-loved boutique. I'll do that for myself mm. and I'll buy certain things, you know, in other Sydney boutiques or something like that that are doing the same thing as me, but I'm not going to buy there to buy to sell in my store. Yeah, I see what you mean. And the people that come in and offer their goods, are you finding them mostly Canberrans in the region? Oh, uh, yeah, we do get a lot of people from regional New South Wales okay. as well. Um, some from Sydney too, depends. I've got a few, um, consignment clients from Sydney. It's just whatever works for them. Mm. And then I really, you get to know people very well. Like a lot of repeat people come back, um, and sell things to me, you know, throughout years. Now let's talk about you just a little bit. So I know you've mentioned to me in the past that your mum was really instrumental in being able to set this business up with you. Yeah. But let's just say she wasn't for argument's sake. Mm. Let's just say she was still working in the boutique that she was working before yeah. and, and her opening our stores impossible. Do you think you would have been able to pursue this path or, or would you have done it a little bit differently? I guess the reason I'm asking this question is because yeah. for those who might not have the opportunity to, for perhaps to set something like this up with their family um, yeah. and not exactly the same business model as you, but of interest perhaps in the vintage space. Do you think there is a possibility for people to do that and start off with markets and then build it up mm. from there? I'd, I'd love to know your advice on what you would have done differently if your mum wasn't there to support you that way. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it They were a huge help, I guess, in the comfort of starting a business. You know, my dad's always, for as long as I can remember, he has worked for himself, um, sort of, you know, in the last decade of me growing up in my teen years, he 
work for himself. And then my mom had her boutique for a long time. And a lot of my family members, aunties and uncles have worked for themselves. Um, I don't have many family members that work for the public service. Like it's just not really, obviously it's a very Canberran thing to do. Um, And my sisters are very creative as well. So it just kind of is within us to sort of have that entrepreneurial skill, I guess, um, and dedication to work hard. I think it's sort of tends from a Greek background as well that you just t- like to work hard, perhaps. I'm not really sure. That could be a stereotype. <laughs> but I don't know. I think um, I probably would have dabbled a little bit more in the styling aspect because I did go down that avenue um, sort of six years after the store had sort of become at a level point where I could step back and refocus on what I was interested in another avenue. Um, So I probably would have started off maybe heading into the styling industry straight away um, or just doing sort of what I do on a smaller scale. Obviously, I'm able to be on this bigger scale because of my team. Um, But, yeah, I think I definitely would have been in some way in a vintage, pre-loved, luxe, depends whether it would have been all all on Instagram or something, you know. Um, that would have been something that's a possibility. But, yeah, probably just working as a stylist full-time. Yeah. Do you think there is still room within the industry from the sales side of things mm-hmm. um, for different niches and for different people interested in vintage? I mean, like I said, you said you've got 10 um, different vendors. Is that right? That's yeah. right? In, in, in the Emporium. In in, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I'm not saying is there room in that for more, but just generally speaking in terms of the genre of that kind of business, is yeah, there room absolutely. still for others? Yeah, I mean, of course, there's always room for others. And if you think about it, we have like a very sort of niche, I'd say clientele base now. Um, but if you compare it to something like marketing, how many marketers are out there and that kind of thing. You've, there's, just, just me. <laughs> there's always room for more. Um, and it just makes everybody work harder, which is nice. Yeah, unfortunately, I wish there was less. <laughs> could relax more um work harder (laughs) (laughs) the reason that i ask that is i know a lot of people have a very keen interest in what they would term as vintage and i know Mm. you've defined that very well i think i'm probably meaning it a little bit more broadly people interested in objects of the past that have some kind of value attached to them whether historical financial the materials that is made out of Mm. whether it's actually got a history thing whether it's just pure nostalgia but uh, you know even you know, the home stories that I've done, it's really interesting how many mm. people kind of lean into this idea of vintage. Yeah, um, it's definitely becoming more popular. It definitely is. Yeah. And, and so much so that out of a lot of people that I've met, that passion is at such a level that beyond just having it around them in their homes, mm. say, for example, mid-century modern stuff, they actually have enough work and knowledge and passion to determine what a bargain or an opportunity is online and source it and get it for other people. Um, You definitely cherish it more, I think. Once you've gone out, you've sourced it, it might need a little bit bit of TLC, whether you need to sand it back, you need to oil it um, as far as furniture. But I think people start to realise that these pieces are standing the test of time, even still, and they're much better quality than buying something from Ikea or Freedom. And you're going to keep buying those things year mm. after year. 
um, I think that's where people are getting excited with that. Is there understanding the quality of yeah. old pieces? No, that's, that's exactly what I hear from them. And, and what happens is they're almost at this level of conversation with me that out of, I think out of four people that I can think of top of my head right now, two of them are actually going to start businesses and potentially sourcing mm. and selling to specific clients. Now, both of them haven't done it because of COVID, um, mm-hmm. which as trying to start up a business in time would have been terrible. Yeah. Whether they're thinking of it right now, I don't know. I should probably check in with them. But I guess my question to you was, for people with that kind of passion, do you think it's it's possible now that we're slightly being a little bit more free and all yeah, the rest I of it? Yeah, I think in a safe way. Obviously, running a business is never going to be easy straight off the bat in any industry. Um, but if it was their passion and they have enough resilience and they know and they care enough for that industry, they'll do well. Um, They probably just, like I say, need to be smart and continue with another job for (laughs) five years and run three jobs at one time. And until it gets off the ground enough. And, but yeah, if they, if they're that interested, they'll do well. So what's the, what's the hardest part? What's the biggest danger in, in trying to set up one's own kind of vintage based shop or outlet or what have you? Um, oh, I think just running business in itself, it probably isn't a challenge as much as the vintage aspects of things. It's probably more business challenges, whether that be staff or, you know, your rent coming up. Accounting. All of that. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. I think if, as soon as you get your head around all of that and you find a really good, um, team and I'm lucky that my team is my family, so we know it's no one's going to drop off there and stop caring or anything like that. Um, yeah, and I think just understanding your niche and just really believing in yourself in it. Mm. Yeah. By the way, you're technically half Greek, half Australian, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you work really hard, so there you go. Yeah, it's I'm not just the Greeks. <laughs> it's not just the Greeks, yeah. I've heard Australians work really hard too. But, no, um. I'm sure they do. But, <laughs> I, you know, when Greek kids, like, they have to – be cleaning up from a young age all that kind of stuff I don't know maybe everyone's the same but <laughs> you know nothing about Polish kids then. Um, is the accounting and the business aspect of it and feel free to say this kind of the mm. least enjoyable part of your work um oh definitely the numbers the finance for me it's just not something that I am necessarily good at like I'm not gonna know how to fill out spreadsheets and that kind of thing but that's like where dad comes into play and he's definitely got that down pat and I'm very lucky in that sense that I don't have to you know outsource someone else as well to do that that he can be a part of the company and do all that for us um but if I was on my own that would definitely be the most challenging thing I wouldn't be able to do it myself and I think that's another part of business is you have to realize that sometimes you can't do everything yourself and you're not meant to like outsource an accountant if you need and that kind of thing yeah that's really good advice um and so apart from the numbers and everything else, what's the hardest part of your work? Like when you think of, and I don't necessarily mean that in a negative sense, mm. I mean that in the most challenging part. And of course, a lot of us who have our own businesses actually weirdly enjoy the challenging part because it gives you a definition of the work that you do and ultimately oh, yeah, a reward. Yeah, but yeah, what is, what is the bit that people wouldn't know about in your day-to-day life that you kind of think, yeah, this is probably the, the toughest um, bit? Day-to-day life, as far as having running businesses, is I think keeping a balance and not knowing when, you know, you should sort of stop and take a break um, before you burn out and things like that. But, yeah, being able to switch off is really hard. And I definitely 
have gotten a lot better at that, especially running the Instagram account. Like I'll be replying to people at 10 p.m. at night, Mm. taking screenshots so I can go in and, you know, reply to them in the morning, that kind of thing. That still happens. (laughs) But I'm definitely better at it. Um, And I guess now I think it was maybe six or seven years until we started to get a day off and that is really important, you know, just knowing the balance of when to sort of give up working, working, working. How did your mum find that balance? Um, it was it was definitely tough. Like, I mean, but she's just – she's always had her own boutique, so she's just worked so hard um, and it's just becomes normal. Like, I remember people used to say to me, how are you working seven days a week? At one point I worked three jobs, but – you just go, I don't really know, but you just do it because that's what you have to do to pay the bills and whatnot. Um, but it's def- we're definitely at the point now where I'd like mum to be able to relax a little bit more and just focus on buying rather than being in retail every day because it does get tiring mm. being in that kind of work industry f- so many years. And she still works five days a week, but, yeah, it would be nice to be able to let her kind of – slow down a little bit more yeah. and just do, do the aspects of the business that she absolutely loves. Um, but to enable that, I need to find someone to work with me um, to kind of run the business with me, which has been a little bit challenging. What kind of qualities are you looking for for someone to work with you? Um, I guess they just have to be extremely driven and um, definitely, you know, people, person, customer service is is up there, but they need to have that passion and desire for fashion, vintage, luxury, home, homewares. Um, it's definitely not something that you can teach someone. So they need to sort of have that within them. But yeah, I'm sort of after finding someone to be second in charge to work with me, um, to run this company with me. So it's been hard. Do you have to be Greek? No, <laughs> they don't have to be. I mean, we've just um, we've just signed uh, Ben, who's taken over the lease of our cafe, which has been fantastic. Um, he's from Capital Food Group. He's Italian, but it's like it just—I don't know—it just it just worked well within our within our family knit um, to have someone. So that's been fantastic. That's been a real weight lift from more so my dad and I. We were sort of the ones managing the cafe, um, but yeah, it'd be great to just to find someone. You know, I wish I could multiply myself mm. in these ways, but yeah, just to work within this company and build it within this company, you know, eventually it could be theirs. You never know. When you think of the evolution of a business, your mum's eventually will, probably will want to, despite her her work etiquette and yeah, so on, she, to step I mean, away she, from it, right? She will. I mean, and that's the thing. In the next sort of ten years, she'll she can't work forever. That's the thing. So she'll like to sort of just do the the parts of the business that she absolutely loves. So you do need to think, and I need to think about the evolution of the business and how it's going to work because at the moment it works because there's two of us, but it's not going to work if it's just me. Mm. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. So Um, do you think you'll step into your mum's shoes and somebody else is supposed to fulfil your role or is it more actually doubling yourself up? No, so I'd sort of stay as the general manager of the Emporium um, and the, you know, head fashion buyer. But 
and I believe Sharon would stay as the interiors buyer, mm-hmm. but she just wouldn't work in the retail store. So it's more finding someone to manage the to retail. To the face aspect of yeah. it, the customer relationship, get to know people. Yeah, yeah, it's just more managing the retail space, like dealing with all the vendors and that kind of thing, just making sure it's all working smoothly. I would still be the buyer. I'd still be there because I think it's very important for our clientele to see me there and see mom and we have such great relationships with some of our clientele so yeah it's just to work alongside me more in the retail aspect of things rather than buying Okay, woman, well, that could be quite E-commerce, possible. Instagram, marketing. Yeah. So hopefully that. someone that's already got some experience. Yeah. But probably at that, yeah, real interaction yeah. plus customer plus business level. Yeah. That's it. So if anyone's listening out there. Yeah, well, hey, why not? I mean, and they, this- uh, No, the thing is, is like it's, it's fashion in Canberra. There's not many opportunities there, um, especially for something that's a little bit more interesting. So Because a lot of people who are working in fashion um, actually are doing it as a side thing, probably during their studies or probably. what have you. Um, unless they go into retail full-time when they actually work for the store, actually yep. own the store, the franchise. Um, or they're working right. in the camera center of exactly. one of the big, big chains. And, yeah. So I guess what we're looking at here is you're not really looking at um, a student per se that's filling this in, but rather somebody that actually wants to dedicate their life to yeah. this kind of work. Yeah. With, with a bigger vision, ultimately, of perhaps even owning their own thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and no, I think it sounds like a really great opportunity for someone that actually has that yeah, set in just it, like you It did. really is. It's an incredible opportunity. And I'm sure we'll find the right person. And it'll be funny to talk to, to them, them about this one day. <laughs> well, maybe maybe what we should do is get them to listen to this podcast before the interview so this and is then what give them a I pop quiz. <laughs> what is the definition of vintage and see what they say? Yeah, they got the decades they say, right. If they say, oh, 25 years, mm, sorry, you weren't listening. <laughs> Fired. <laughs> Fired. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that question about the future, because you're, uh, this is going to sound terrible coming from you, but you're still really young, right? You're 20. 28. 28. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, when you think of that, I mean, I know people change careers a lot and mm. all the rest of it, but I kind of get the feeling with you that you're going to be set in this path for a very long time to come. Yeah. I, can't, I just can't imagine you suddenly breaking out of this and going no. into accounting. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, and that definitely became apparent. Um, I always was apparent, I guess, because it's just natural that this is my business. But during this last lockdown, during COVID, when we weren't even allowed to open the door and walk in there, it was very like, oh, my God, like this business is actually my whole life. Like mm. my family and everything, everything like that is all very important to me, but it is, you know, my whole being is this business. So, yeah, yeah I'm, there's definitely not going anywhere in that aspect um, and I'd like to run it through, but it's just a matter of just working it in a way that I can still live, you know, a comfortable life and I'm not have to be there every single minute of the day and that kind of thing. I mean, the thing that you're talking about is very much shared by pretty much everyone that I've spoken to that owns their own business that is in a state of maturity, so in other words, Mm, growth. Yeah. They all say the same thing, that there is this moment where it is impossible to sustain the run that you've done for the last couple of years trying to build up a business mm. ongoingly. No, and yeah. And there's this very conscious kind of uncoupling they have to do and say, I actually have to let go of some things or you this do. will burn me out. Yeah. But it's very hard because it's been the thing you've been 100% on about for the yeah. last, you know, however many years. Yeah. So I like hearing that you're, I mean, yeah, that you're faced with exactly the same thing. But you almost seem like you're, 
preempting that now. It's not like you've kind of at a point right now where you're saying, I'm really stressed and I really need to find a break at this. Yeah, no. You just like, know that it's going to come. Yeah, and it's just definitely become, it's actually, you know, after this nine years now we've been had the store, it's become a lot more comfortable for me to live my life. I've got two days off now, you know, I can kind of switch off. I can go away with my friends if I'd like and that kind of thing. It's definitely more of a comfortable balance. Um, as soon as we find that staff member, that person to come along, it will be just that little bit more of a breather for all of us. But yeah, I guess I'm thinking long-term, you know, 30 soon, and then you're going to want to start to have a family. I definitely can't do this role and have three kids off my arms at the same time. So (laughs) I've got to sort of think about how I'm going to manage this in the future because it is such a huge part of my life. Mm. If people kind of ask you about, you, I know this was kind of strange, but if you had to kind of introduce yourself somewhere, yeah, you do define yourself by the work that you do? Um, I guess so. I guess if, if I didn't sort of mention that, then yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess I am sort of just a creative at heart, really. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much like a family orientated people person. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's go back to the fashion thing for a moment. So you said that you've always been interested in fashion. Yeah. When I find uh, kind of documentaries about fashion designers and if they're good documentaries, they'll mm. go backwards enough to figure out what was that moment that made somebody get into fashion, mm. right? And it comes from different places. Um, yeah. But there is something to be said about those people believing in fashion being almost like wearable art, if I can mm. put it that way. Yeah. And that there's this level of communication that happens between human beings in, by the way that we dress. Yes. And also the change in someone that wearing something can actually do. Um, and yeah. so, so it's driven out of this kind of like semi-artistic, aesthetic, um, and sometimes a psychological reason. So let's go for a moment. What is it about fashion that kind of gives you the spark? Because ultimately that's what drove you to where you are. Yeah. Well, I think from a young age, I was always sitting in the back of my mum's store um, and I would go there and clean the windows and I would just love like running my hands along the beautiful dresses. She sold Mother of the Bride, so things were quite dressy. Um, so I think that very tactile relationship with it and being in a store, so it just kind of sparked that within me that that's something that I would do. And then the creative flair of just being attracted to things, like you say, definitely is to me wearable art. And when you go to a exhibition, that's like a Chanel exhibition in, in Melbourne or something like that, you can tell that that's art and it deserves to be in the museums. Um, but then, like you say, as far as like, something that you wear changes people's whole aspect of their lives without them perhaps knowing that it can. Um, and that's where the styling comes into play. So yeah, it, it's, it's huge, you know, motion of what fashion can actually do for someone. And the reason that I'm going back to this is, you know, if someone forced you to talk about yourself without mentioning your business, mm. I think you oh, could I would certainly dip into that. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I talk about fashion foremost, but it's, you can, see that without me having to say anything as well we talked about what the most difficult part of your or challenging part of your work is um what's the flip side what is probably the thing that gives you the biggest amount of enjoyment out of like Mm. a day-to-day oh probably just um i think being able to feel at home at my workplace um it's such a nice feeling but 
when it's all running smoothly, obviously not things like lockdown and all of that, <laughs> sure. but that makes it all worthwhile. You know, as soon as we're back in and it's all running smooth and um, everyone's back in the store and you see your customers that you're, you know, catching up with everyone again and um, it's just that warm feeling of it working. Um, and, yeah, it just definitely feels like home for us. Um, and then I get to spend time with my family, which I'm pretty lucky. Not everyone gets to have that sort of cruisy ability to see their parents every second or third day. And, you know, we have our morning coffee together. Um, that kind of thing is always really nice. And just doing what I love. I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to do what I love and just be surrounded by beautiful clothes and beautiful things. And I think mum, like what mum said to you in the home stories, she, she enjoys selling these pieces because, you know, it's just being around beautiful things and then being able to pass them on to someone. Yeah, she also said that it was, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially that is giving life to something over and over again yeah. by it being in somebody else's home and, and somebody else's so home. so special, yeah. When you see someone actually buying something, you know where it's come from, you know where it's going. Um, so yeah. that's, and there is an importance to the past, which mm. kind of gets, you know, refocused on again mm. when, when we do look at things vintage. No, I, I really like this idea of, essentially a business being home it's quite a nice way of putting it and in yeah. fact now that i think about it you know i mean, i know we're making jokes about greeks working hard <laughs> but but anyway to that point maybe the reason your mother and you and, and your dad as well yeah the reason you guys can work so hard at this is because it's it's easier to do that in a homely environment you mm. know in other words you're not kind of doing it for the man if you know what i mean no yeah you, you're doing that together and maybe that just makes it a little easier yeah, yeah. and quotes. I think when you have the team behind you and we all are working just as hard as each other and we definitely don't want to let one of the team down sort of thing I think as well so we're all just pushing to keep doing better hmm. yeah one thing I wanted to get into because it's realized we've only got about 15 minutes left if that um is around advice mm-hmm. so Let's talk about people who have always been interested in vintage. So they get what you were talking about before, the yeah. value of it, and perhaps the fact that it's distinctive or unique or what have you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the world of vintage can just seem as messy as the world of the internet if you don't know how yeah. to get through it. And I'm sure there's a lot of junk you've got to get through to yes. try to find things with meaning. Mm. What would your advice be about people who are interested in dabbing into it? And we can focus in specifically on fashion if you like. Mm. Where do they start? I guess if they're the type of person that doesn't enjoy rummaging and things like that, you know, would be to come to a store like ours because a lot of people get frustrated when they think that they're going to an op shop and and they can't find what they're after, Um, things like that. We're doing that for you. We're doing the curation for you and we're making it a lot easier um, to shop. But I guess one of the easiest and quickest things would be to ignore the size of vintage fashion people get very confused at why it says it's a size 12 but it's now an Australian size 8 Um, so completely ignore the size is what I would tell clients Um, just look out for the quality Um, be considerate of you know if there's going to be any marks or things like that on it missing buttons broken zips or anything like that you're obviously not going to find that in our store but this is figuratively if you're going out and just trying to find this yourself um and trying things on and just seeing how it goes but and as well my advice would be to mix it with something modern 
So, you know, if you do want to have that whole vintage head to toe look, absolutely. Like people do that and it looks fantastic. Um, But I think that's where people find it too difficult and they're like, it's not going to work within my wardrobe. Um, But if you pair like a vintage striped blue and white shirt with a pair of modern jeans, perfect. Like wear it with sneakers or wear it with heels. Like um, I think looking outside the square of how you can wear it. Also, they can look at menswear too or womenswear or vice versa. You're not just down to your own sort of genre. Mm. Um, Think outside the box a little bit. And do you think it's easier to start off with an idea? So what I mean by that is... Um, let's just say you wanted to, to get into kind of vintage fashion, is it best to think, well, what I'd really like is I think a jacket, yeah. right? And then work towards the goal of getting this vintage jacket. Or do you think that's actually a little bit too prescriptive and you should probably just go a little bit more loose and just probably see be, what fits yeah. you? And Be a bit more fluid with okay. it, I think, and just try and find things that spark joy, like if you like it. Um, a lot of the time people think, oh, I love that. It might be like a fully sequined top or something and then you're going where when am I going to wear that especially I live in Canberra I hear that all the time um something with that is if you wear it once you'll feel a bit self-conscious you wear it again you might go oh yeah I wore this once I'm you know someone might look at me funny in the lift but anyway once you get to the third or fourth time you're not even thinking about it so it's like if you love it and it sparks joy go for it who cares what the rules say or if anyone else thinks because if someone feels comfortable that oozes and you can just see how, you know, much happier they are and then you look better in what you're wearing. So I think a lot of the time people are a bit afraid Mm. of vintage or afraid of fashion in general, of picking something. But, yeah, if you love it, go for it. But, yeah, try not to think of something so specific because it's harder to find vintage fashion as it is. So try not to nail it down to one tiny thing that you're looking for. Yeah. Unless, Unless, like, you go to Brick Lane in London because then the world is your oyster and you can, you can probably find that denim jacket that you're after. Yeah. Mind you, well, maybe we are beginning international travel from, what, December or something? Perhaps, maybe. So, so maybe that's the case. But it's still an expensive trip yeah. to make just for a jacket, Just for right? a jacket. I mean, you never know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And maybe, like, on, on the flip side side of things, what about if you're trying to buy for someone? Yes. Because I like the idea that you said that people are going in there to buy wedding gifts and so forth. Yeah. So what advice do you give there to kind of suit them? Yeah, have an idea of what they already like um, and perhaps what they already have. And, you know, whether if that's you've been to their house, just take note of the glassware or things like that. But I think it's a really nice gift idea if someone gives something something they wouldn't necessarily buy, but it's still quite special. And then, you know, that you they can appreciate it. They love it, but they wouldn't go out of their way to spend X amount of dollars on something so special. And then they're going to tie that in and think, oh, that's what Ashley bought me for my wedding. And it's mm. it's a nice tie down to it. But, um, yeah, have a little think about what they already have, I guess. And just go off, go off that. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So it's actually not that different to buying stuff that you would normally do because you, know, you tend to think, hang on, what do they need? Uh, I know their style is this. They'll yeah. probably like it. They don't like it. They couldn't turn it. But I guess what you're trying to do here is actually find something that's quite distinctive. And unique, time. yeah. And yeah. that they can only find at a vintage shop or something like that, a boutique where it's special. It's not like the same gift that everyone's getting for their wedding. Yeah. What's the um, most common vintage item that you've made the most use out of and you still do? Um, That's your favorite there is. Well, fashion-wise, it would probably be 
a like pair of black trousers or something that are wide leg and they're probably 40, 30, 40 years old, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, jewellery is a huge one for me. Mother and I are obsessed with jewellery. So that's something that we would get definitely get the most use out of um, because it's something that you're wearing every day. And then as far as homewares, I think it's like the crystal glasses that I drink my water out of mm. and I literally use them every day. Oh, so you don't stick them in some fancy nah, cupboard. Okay. Boring. Yeah. Yeah, use them. They're meant to be used. And I mean, I guess you would be upset if you chipped it or crashed it. But yeah, then that's but also then part just, of the life, right? Yeah, that's just that's just it. And then you just come to the Emporium and get some more. <laughs> yeah. Okay, actually, to this point, so if you do find something that's very distinctive, yeah. and there isn't ask this, right? You do celebrate those vintage items by using them. The idea mm. is not that you buy a particular, let's go back to the jacket for a moment, mm. and then you only bring it on special occasions. You're saying, Oh, yeah, wear it. Absolutely. Keep on wearing it. And if you end up giving it wearing tear and you're mm. the last person to wear it, that's fine. And it had a life. Yeah. That's okay. what you want. I think it is nice sometimes to have that, that special, you know, if it's a champagne flute or something, that's probably not something you're going to use every day. But, um, says you. Yeah. <laughs> I perhaps would. (laughs) But, yeah, the water, something like as simple as a water glass or a water jug, um, why not, you know? Why not be surrounded by nice things and use these things every day? I think it's just like your clothes. Like if it makes makes you feel good, it sparks joy, why not? No, I think that's cool because, once again, I sometimes think of vintage things in in my life and uh, back in Europe, you know, obviously had uh, things passed down for generations that have been very, very old. Um, mostly kind of more art stuff rather yeah. than, than goods, but there, there have been most certainly crystal and, and what have you. And because it's so special, uh, we've almost never used it. Like my parents still have it like in the finer in the kind of cupboard. Yeah. And yeah, and I completely get that because it's so precious that once you kind of destroy that, then that's the end of that. I guess if it has this family sentimental yeah, heirloom, it's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. You might want to keep that one safe. Um, but yeah, I guess. I'll pick up somebody else's from your store yeah. and then go nuts. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Beautiful. Mm. Um, look, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I know we've done a bit of a circle through, you know, the business and then yeah. you and then ultimately kind of finished off with advice just on, on vintage stuff. No, it's nice. It's been lovely. Yeah. And I really hope that this long ad that we've done for the last hour or so <laughs> about <laughs> you finding the right employee works that out. Please. That would be great. That would be great. <laughs> they really should listen to this podcast. They should. The interview, yeah. I think. I think it, yeah. I would give him a good insight. That would be great. So yeah, I wish you the very best of luck of finding another you. Thank you. It'll Even be if good. They're not Greek. No, they cannot be Greek. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Polish maybe. <laughs> Polish maybe, yes. Well, I'm, I'm sure I'll see you around soon. Thank you. Nice to see you. So that was my conversation with Taylor Pitsillos from Designer Op Shop Emporium. I hope you enjoyed a bit of an insight into the world of vintage, specifically Taylor's world of vintage and what her future might actually hold. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please refer it to other people. That is the way that I grow. And if you have other people or perhaps other professions or areas that you'd like me to look into, then please reach out and let me know. I really enjoy hearing from you all. The best way to get in touch with me is via Instagram at Behind the Bio Podcast, or if you prefer email, then Ashley underscore Farod at Outlook.com. Again, thanks to the guys at Coordinate Group. They're such a bunch of legends for making this entire series possible. And I hope I can catch you at the next episode. 
of Behind the Bio.